talk about slobber knocking fights. Ground and pound. Rear naked jokes. Plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. It's coming up next, another brand new episode of Sucker Radio. This is MMA fight music producer Mikey Ruckus, and you are listening to another edition of Sucker Radio with your host, Jeremy Brand. Be sure to catch all your mixed martial arts news and interviews and updates at www.mmasucker.com. Welcome back, suckers. We are back for another brand new episode. Sucker Radio here on MMASucker.com. I'm your host, as always, Jeremy Brand. We have an absolutely stacked show for you this week. Don't be surprised if it goes well beyond one hour this time. You know, if you have to skip through some stuff, get to the stuff that you want to hear. But you know what? The entire show is good. So sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy the ride. Uh, I'll be joined in a in a few minutes here by DraftKings.com. Yeah, you know it. Our sponsors over at DraftKings.com. I'll be joined by their marketing manager, Zach Sold. He'll he'll join me to discuss, you know, DraftKings venture in to MMA and and how it's been going and his thoughts on on where it will go from here. So I'll I'll be joined by him in just a little bit. Um, rounding out the show, I will be joined by the Venezuelan Vixen herself, who will be returning to the Octagon next weekend at UFC Fight Night 63, Juliana Pena. I'm very, very excited for this one. She has been a, a favorite of mine since the Ultimate Fighter, so uh, I can't wait to see her get back inside the Octagon next Saturday night, April 4th, in Fairfax, Virginia, UFC Fight Night 63. Justin Pierrot will have his unpopular opinions. Uh, he'll be joined by Robin Black of the Fight Network, this guy. Um, if you don't know him, he's one of Canada's best mixed martial arts uh, guys around. He's he, he's uh, on the Fight Network. He breaks down uh, individuals' fighting performances. And uh, Justin Pierrot will talk to him in his unpopular opinions. Also, yesterday I had the opportunity to head to downtown Vancouver for the UFC 189 World Tour, um, Rory McDonald and Robbie Lawler stopped into Van City, the good old 604, to to do a little uh, media. You know, it was it was only open to the media; no public were invited. It wasn't a press conference. Um, both men were just open for one-on-one sort of interviews. They they said they were going to be scrums, but you know, I got one-on-ones with each of those guys, so I'll be playing both of those interviews. Um, so as I said, it is stacked this week. Before we get to those, a couple things that I wanted to talk about before anything else goes on in the show. Brock Lesnar was the big news, you know, when everyone thought that he was going to be leaving the WWE, heading to the UFC, back to the UFC. Well, that has been next. Uh, Brock Lesnar has announced that he has re-signed with the WWE um, this just one week prior to WrestleMania. WrestleMania is this Sunday. Brock Lesnar fighting in the main event, and he has re-signed with the WWE, making Vince McMahon a happy man. And actually, it's making Dana White extremely happy for him as well. So congratulations to Brock Lesnar. Word coming out on Wednesday this week was that Cristiano Cyborg Justino has signed... Not Cristiano... Chris Cyborg Justino has signed with the UFC. Um, Vice Fightland has announced this. 
Shannon Knapp has confirmed that she has signed with the UFC. Um, Ariel Helwani believes that she will fight one more fight with Invicta. And then if Ronda Rousey beats Betch Correa, from the sounds of it, she could be fighting Ronda Rousey in December. Holy crap. That is the fight that everyone has wanted to see. That's the only fight that makes sense for Ronda Rousey at this point. Other than the fact that, yeah, you know, Betch Correa has uh, talked the talk and, and made her way up to what is the 135-pound women's title. She's, you know, knocking on the four horsemen's door pretty much, or a four-horse women's door, because Ronda Rousey and, and her stablemates, you know, some of her stablemates have been beaten by Betch Correa, and now she's knocking on Ronda Rousey's door. Another person that's been knocking on the door is Conor McGregor. These guys are doing the UFC 189 World Tour. They've been to numerous stops. They started in Rio. They've been to uh, L.A. They've been to Boston. And these guys, oh man, Conor McGregor starts off the news conference in, in Rio with his feet up on the table. Uh, Jose Aldo flips him the bird. These guys are going back and forth. If you haven't checked out Dana White's or the UFC Embedded series, um, following these guys around, I definitely um, suggest you checking that out. N Earlier this week, Nick Catone uh, had to withdraw from his UFC on Fox 15 fight, and he retired following that due to, you know, he's had some nagging back injuries, and, and he just decided that enough's enough. So after having to pull out of this fight, that's that. He's retired. That's it for the news from me. I'm going to be getting right into my first interview with DraftKings.com marketing manager, Zach Sold, right after this. Joining me now is marketing manager for our favorite daily fantasy sports site, DraftKings.com. Please welcome Zach Sold to Sucker Radio. Zach, thanks for joining me today, man. Yeah, no, thanks a lot for having me. Now, fan daily fantasy sports has sort of been a boom as of late. Um, a number of different sites uh, popping up here and there. How's it been uh, working with DraftKings.com? Um, starting, how's it started for you during a time of such crazy growth in in daily fantasy sports? You know, it's definitely been been really really exciting. The entire process has kind of been a whirlwind for me. Um, I actually started out my career in uh, in daily fantasy sports with a with a smaller site called Draft Street, okay. uh, which was based out of New York. And then uh, and then last July, Draft Street was was acquired by DraftKings. Uh, DraftKings headquartered in Boston, and Draft Street kind of became their New York location uh, and their second office. So it's been and since then it's just been you know full speed ahead. Football season was was wild, and then we launched MMA, and you know we're continuing to grow really in all in all sports. So it's been it's been a crazy ride for sure. Are you surprised at, at how everything has come together with the one day fantasy sports market these days? I mean, everyone has played fantasy sports. Every sports fan has played fantasy sports. You know, the year long stuff. Are you surprised with how daily fantasy sports has sort of become booming as it is these days? Uh, you know, to a certain extent, I am a little bit surprised. I'm I'm one of the few employees here that I had never really heard of daily fantasy sports before I started working at a at a daily fantasy site. So it wasn't really even anything that was on my radar up until you know two years ago. Uh, but then you know, I think the product really speaks for itself. Uh, people really really enjoy what we're doing, and 
you know, it has a sort of addictive element to it. And then when you branch out into so many different sports and there's so many ways to expand, I think it really does make sense. Um, myself as a sports fan, you know, I can see uh, now that I play in all these internal drafting leagues against all of my coworkers and all, that kind of thing, I, I can see why it is where it is. Uh, and I think it really speaks to, you know, our marketing prowess and, and really our whole execution throughout. But, you know, the product speaks for itself, and I think that that's the main reason why we're where we're at now. How do you fare in those internal leagues? I am almost inevitably dead last. <laughs> now you except recently... the MMA league, except the MMA oh, league, yeah? which I'm a reigning champion. But so... every other sport, I'm uh, I'm not up to par with some of these analytics guys. They're just uh, not on another level than me. All right, so you're a big fan of MMA? Yeah, yeah, I'm a huge MMA guy. I'm I'm kind of like that um, in-house MMA guru for uh, for DraftKings in the New York office. So it's been a lot of fun getting to work with you know guys like John Jones. Now working with the UFC has been a dream come true for me, really. Breaking away from DraftKings a little, speaking of New York office, they announced earlier this week that that New York is pushing towards MMA being there sometime later this year. They're hoping for that at least. How would that feel for you to have? Mixed martial arts live in front of the New York uh, state crowd. I mean, I cannot wait. I know that if it ever does get legal in New York, they're going to throw an absolute blowout event in MSG. So I would just be so excited about it. I know one of the politicians that was really one of the biggest obstacles uh, preventing MMA being legal in New York has recently been indicted on some crazy uh, charges of corruption charges and such. So now that he's out of the way, I think there's actually a big push uh, to get it legal in New York. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be amazing. And I know that, you know, the UFC would take full advantage and do something crazy in an MSG event. So that would be really exciting for me. For sure. Now you guys recently made the break into mixed martial arts. Wasn't too long ago. This must have been sort of an obvious transition as, as MMA is one of the fastest growing sports in the world right now. What's the feedback been with, with you guys starting MMA in the daily fantasy realm? Um, you know, I think the feedback has been predominantly positive. Really, really, people seem to really like it. Um, I think one thing you can definitely appreciate is that the MMA fan base is just incredibly loyal and extremely dedicated. And I think fans were, were sort of excited to see that they could have a new outlet for getting themselves involved in UFC events besides, you know, illegal sports betting. So I think the product was extremely welcome among UFC fans. And, you know, what we've seen what we've seen from an acquisition side in terms of customers and what we've seen from a crossover side, side in terms of existing players on the site has been really, really positive. Everyone seems to really enjoy it. Um, and I think that's just going to continue to grow as the sport grows. And I think UFC and MMA fans are, are just kind of appreciative to be recognized since it is such a fast-growing sport, but it often gets overlooked, you know, in the – fantasy football, fantasy basketball sort of realm. So now they have their, we have our own little MMA outlet, and I think that that's really, really exciting for a lot of people. Yeah, you, so you guys are seeing those NBA guys, NFL guys, sort of dabble in it just to get to see what the MMA betting is like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the crossover has been actually one of the most surprising successes that we've had. We thought it was going to be a little bit more niche, where there was some sort of the guys that just only play MMA contests and you know, the basketball players and the baseball players kind of stay out of it. But I think just the crossover has been incredible. Everybody seems to really enjoy it. Um, it's super easy to draft a team. You just pick five fighters from any card, um, and you stay under the salary cap, and then you see how your team does. So I think uh, I think a lot of people really like it. If you have a couple of sneaky sleeper picks for a fight, it's a, it's a good way to win a lot of money in one fell swoop. So 
pretty, it's a pretty cool product we got. Yeah, really, with MMA, I mean, as they say, anything can happen in mixed martial arts, right? And so even picking these underdogs uh, to stay under the salary cap, really anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There was that event in Brazil just a few weeks ago where nine out of, what, 12 underdogs yeah. won in the last all the last nine fights. So, you know, if you have a couple of those underdogs uh, on your on your five-man team and then you draft a couple, and then it saves you enough money to draft some of the big dogs too, then, you know, you're coming out with a couple hundred fantasy points and that could win you, you know, up to 5,000, maybe, maybe more dollars, depending on what contest you join. So, you know, it's, it's always key to have a couple like sleeper underdog picks, but like you said, in MMA, I mean, there's no other sport in the world like it where the underdog comes out on top so often. So it's really about how much, you know, it's, it's really definitely a skill, skill game. Now there's really only one other fantasy sports site that, that does MMA and that's counter move. Do you consider these guys a, a true competitor? Um, you know, not really. I, I don't think that counter move really is going to affect our business. And the same goes vice versa. I don't think that we're really affecting their business either. I don't think that we're really stealing customers from them in any way. Um, you know, like I said, the crossover from the existing players that we already had on DraftKings, that in, it, in and of itself probably is enough to make our contest sort of bigger than counter move contest just without even the new users that we're bringing in. Um, so I don't really consider it to be a sort of one or the other situation. I think a lot of players will probably end up playing on both sites. Um, but DraftKings, people players were already playing on DraftKings, whether it was you know baseball or soccer or PGA. You know they're they're going to stick to DraftKings because it's a system that they know and it's an interface that they know. Um, so that kind of gives us a lap on counter move that they never hope to have. They can never fill a fifty thousand dollar, you know guaranteed league because they just don't have the crossover potential that we do for sure now i noticed that you guys uh you'll be doing fun little prizes to go along with the cash games like trips to events meetups with dana white how will fans be able to win these things and what else do you guys have in store yeah you know, we're moving more toward a um like giving away experiences that money can't really buy type of thing so like you can only w really win this you can only have this experience if you win it on DraftKings. Um, so the formatting of it's going to be pretty much exactly the same as the cash leagues. It's just you play against other people in a contest, um, a fantasy a fantasy MMA contest. You, you pick your five fighters from that UFC event. Um, you go against other people, and, and the top prize in that case will be, you know, fun things like, you know, we'll fly you out to Vegas so you can spend a day with Dana White, uh, or we'll send you to, you know, Jackson Winklebo Winklejohn to train with John Jones for a day. We have some other really, really cool things coming up uh, in that same vein. I don't want to give away too much, but you know, we have some, some trainers, some really, really famous, well-known trainers that we want to give away some sessions with, um, you know, some more fighters that we're getting on our, on our, as our ambassadors that we want to give away some hangouts with. Uh, we sent one guy to hang out with John Jones and watch, um, I think it was UFC 185. Um, so a lot of stuff like that coming down the pipeline. Definitely really exciting. Will it just be winner takes all in those ones? Um, almost always there will be um, – you'll be able to do it with a friend. So it will be first place gets like two tickets to UFC 189 in Vegas on Memorial Day weekend or something like that. Yeah. Um, but second place through you know 500th place, they'll all win out in cash prizes. So the experience will go to the top prize. But the other the other people who place well will also win cash. Nice, that's really cool. Do you do you think that the MMA game sizes will ever get to say the the size of the NFL or NBA? 
You know, it's really tough to say. Um, you know, I always fall back on the thing that MMA's ceiling is nowhere near been reached. The UFC is growing so fast. The MMA fan base is growing so fast. That being said, if we were to ever approach the the size contest that we have for NFL and NBA, which are our two biggest sports, um, it's gonna take it's gonna take a lot of time. Think about how long people have been playing fantasy football for. Think about how long that's been building toward where it is right now. Um, fantasy MMA is a completely new idea that we've essentially introduced to the market. It's something that people have never done before. So whereas people think that you know have been playing fantasy football for years and think that they're the best at it. That's that's a widespread notion, and MMA really hasn't reached that point yet. Um, you know, who knows how big the fan base will get one day? Uh, who knows how widely accepted the sport will be one day? But it's definitely going to be a long way off from. It's going to take a long time to get to the size of something like NFL. NBA is a little bit more reachable, but NFL is just so massive that uh, it, it would definitely take a substantial amount of time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's funny because I'm a longtime NFL fantasy guy. Um, I'm a huge MMA fan along with this media side of things. I do find it a lot harder to pick the MMA guys than I do in, say, NFL games. Yeah, you know, that's a common thing. I think it's because, you know, think the player pool sizes are just so much smaller, right? So even if you only have to pick five MMA fighters, there's really only 24 fighters to choose from in a given night. So you, every selection you make is just so important. If you, if you end up picking one fighter who's a just, who's just a dud, that's really going to crush your whole, uh, night for fantasy MMA. Whereas in football, the, the player pool is so much bigger that, you know, there's running backs on 32 different teams and yeah. quarterbacks for the same amount. And they're all playing on any given Sunday. So, um, the player pool is just, is, is just a, a much different size. So I think that makes MMA a little bit harder. And and a lot of times duds say in NFL will still get you, you know maybe ten points. But duds in MMA, I got point one the other night. Yeah, I mean if if you pick somebody and he gets knocked out in the first round, if you pick a, a Gina Serrano against Ronda Rousey, you're coming up pretty short on that on that particular player for sure. <laughs> Since finding out about DraftKings, and I'm going to wrap up on this, I I've become quite the addict. I mean I'm even playing fantasy golf, fantasy soccer. I've got my coworker here you know, addicted to the the DraftKings stuff, and he's playing golf, soccer, um, college basketball. Do you find that when pe- since people jump on board, they they just start going gung-ho and, and, and trying out all the different sports? Uh, yeah, we definitely do, and that's been something that we've seen since launching MMA, for sure. I mean, we have NFL players and NBA players all, all jumping in to play, M- M- uh, to play MMA, um, you know, PGA has a ton of crossover too. You mentioned that it's actually a really fun way to liven up uh, PGA events, which can be sort of boring for me personally. Um, but yeah, I think that the crossover of players really just speaks to the fact that they trust the brand. They think if you launch, if we launch, if DraftKings launches a new sport, you know, it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. It's going to be well constructed and well thought through. So I think that that's definitely a huge part of the business and something that we hope to keep encouraging. We want all of our players to try out every different sport and really see where they fit in, what they like and what they, and then we're always looking for feedback as well. So the one thing that made me crazy about golf is, I mean, I'm checking it all the time because players tee off at different times, right. I'm winning money at the end of the first day, not realizing that it's a four day game. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So, you know, you can be winning $5 at the end of day one and down to you know twenty five cents or nothing by the end of day four. It, it, it's sort of funny. Yeah, 
it's a it's a long game with PGA because it's through the entire tournament. So you got to make sure you're picking the golfers that are gonna you know make the cut for the next day. That's really important. Otherwise, they start stop accumulating fantasy points. Um, but yeah, it, it's a good way to just sort of keep tabs on what's happening in a golf tournament, but not really have to watch the entire tedious thing. Exactly. Thanks a bunch, Zach, for uh, joining me today, man. And and just let people know where they can get a hold of DraftKings, everything DraftKings social media-wise, and anything else you guys have going on with the site right now that people should know about. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, on Twitter, we're at DraftKings. Follow us. We give away a lot of really cool giveaways and sort of trivia days, and we give away a lot of DraftKings swag. Uh, on Facebook, we're just DraftKings also. Uh, same thing there. We give away a lot of cool stuff. Um, to sign up for DraftKings, just go to DraftKings.com, use promo code MMA Sucker, and that'll get you free entry into a contest. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we got going on. And that's a contest. That's not just MMA contest, right? That's a contest uh, sports-wide. So I should, so I should spe- specify, if you make any first deposit on DraftKings.com with uh, the promo code MMA Sucker then you'll get to pick your entry into a free contest for any sport. Normally, the entry fee would be $3, but with any first deposit, you'll get free entry into any sport contest that you want. So it could be MMA, it could be PGA, it could be NBA, NHL, whatever whatever it is that you're interested in. Thanks a lot, Zach. All the best, man, and good luck with continued ventures with DraftKings, man. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, man. I was going to say, happy yeah. belated birthday. Did Thank you. you. get up to anything? No, I didn't do anything. Nothing. Just kind of hung out. And... Family man, I know. Yeah, just, I'm so busy now. It's like any time I have off, I just try to spend it home. So. I know since, since earning the belt, the sort of media stuff has picked up quite a bit. You, I know you were on the MMA Hour like two, three times after winning the belt. You weren't big media savvy prior to that. How, how's this whole experience been? Um, it, I didn't knew it was part of the sport. I knew it was part of coming back to the UFC. Ever since I came back to the UFC and fought Koscheck, this I knew it was gonna. This is what it's gonna be. So I just uh, changed my mindset and embraced it. And uh, it's all about just being a professional and going to work every day. A lot of people thought the trilogy was gonna happen. Dana sort of announced it possibly happening uh, sometime. You know, he's talked about it in January. <coughs> Uh, were you surprised that that didn't happen? And between Rory and Johnny, what was the fight that you yourself wanted? Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't really worried about. I don't really concentrate on those things. Um, I don't really concentrate on Rory or Hendricks, and I don't really care either way. And that's not disrespect to either guy. I'm just. I just concentrate on myself. It makes life easier. And. In this sport, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, you thought Gustafson was going to get a shot right away. He didn't. So it's, I've been around so long that I don't really try to like be like, oh, this is going to happen, because I know better than that. You never know what's going to happen. Speaking of being around for so long, you, you changed camps. You're now out in Florida. What's the difference between the two camps that, that that's made you improve to be such a better fighter? Um... I've gone to a lot of different camps, but it comes down to just uh, continuing to grow. Going down to Florida, I have a, a lot of really good training partners, uh, really good coaches, and it just comes down to growth. Um, I'm excited to be in the UFC, which is another thing that uh, helped a lot. Moving down to 170 was huge. It's just uh, continuing to grow as a fighter and as a person, and uh, and finally living up to what I've been capable of and I saw all these years in the gym. Speaking of moving down to 70, is <coughs> Rory 
or when you beat Rory, um, is moving back up to 85 an option for you? Uh, no, you just, I mean, obviously I'll fight anybody, anytime, any place kind of guy. Um, but just winning one fight just and then saying you move up to 185 or whatever, no, I'm going to stay down here for a while unless uh, the bosses feel otherwise. For sure. Now, you fought Rory back in 2013, split decision victory. Um, he is still a young guy, so moving forward, he's going to evolve a little bit more. Do you oh, expect yeah. a completely different Rory McDonald in the cage? Um, I don't really, I'm not really expecting anything different from him, or I'm not really expecting anything. I'm concentrating on myself, really, and uh, whatever Rory shows up, a different, I'm just going to show up. That's what I concentrate on. I concentrate on, on me, and my coaches concentrate on him. Did you keep up with the odds at all? Because as of right now, he is the favorite. Are you surprised by that at all? Uh, no, I don't keep up on it, but people tell me stuff like that, but no, it doesn't really, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't bother me at Another all. Another thing that sort of shocked me, you know, Dana said in the past that the heavier weight classes are the main event. Yep. This fight card, lighter weight classes are going to be the main event. Does that affect you at all? Do you care where you fight on the card? I know you're not the guy, <laughs> kind of guy that does, but in no. terms of, you know, popularity, uh, do you feel like it's sort of a slap in the face? No, it doesn't bother me at all. If you look at uh, Conor McGregor and the job he's done over the past year, year and a half, promoting himself and, and knocking people out and beating people and promoting his shows. And you look at what Aldo's done over the past, his whole career, I don't see any reason why those guys aren't at the top. And believe me, I'd fight first. I'd be the first fight on the prelims on Fight Pass. That's just how I am. I just show up and fight and uh, whatever. How do you see that fight going down? What fight? Conor McGregor. Jose Aldo. Uh, Jose's a killer, man. Yeah, it's going to be a good fight, and I'll (laughs) leave it at that. Um, They announced earlier this month, you know, tough is ATT versus uh, Black Zillions. I know you can't talk about it too much, but did that that sort of change? I know you're a guy who's in the gym all the time. Did that change training up at all with all the cameras and whatnot? I can't talk about it. (laughs) I know a lot, but I know a lot of guys that had fights coming up, went to different camps, and went to different gyms. Um, is that something that that you had to do at all to sort of cross-train? No, uh, it didn't really affect me too much because I train at different times. It just it kind of messed up the times guys are training and uh, just switched a couple things around. spoke to your coach, Ricardo Laborio, yesterday. I, I said, you know, I'm going to be talking to Robbie today. He told me to talk to you about your dad. He was a former military man. Um, is that where you got all your training sort of style from, like the getting into the gym, being there all the time. Is that your training regimen? Did you, did you take after your father with that? Um, No, my dad never really pushed me into sports. And uh, I wanted to be in um, martial arts growing up, so and I kept asking, kept asking, and he put me into it. And I, I asked for the weight set, and it was just kind of self-driven. But I think uh, my dad was a disciplinarian, and that's how I am. I'm dis- I have a lot of discipline. My mom was a hard-working lady, so I got a lot of uh, my hard work from her, too. Talk about Ricardo Laborio. He seems like a, he's sort of a family man himself. He, he, sort of, he doesn't want to take any recognition for the team, which is super cool. He, he lets all the coaches take recognition. Just sort of talk about him a little as your coach. Yeah, um, Ricardo's uh, Lebo, as we call him, really good guy, been around the sport forever, uh, knows so much about jiu-jitsu. And uh, really what it comes down to at, at American Top Team is there's a lot of really good coaches there, and they put their heads together, and uh, they make each other better. They, 
they don't step on each other's toes. They all work together, and there's so many great coaches to learn from there and, and help you out. And, uh, and then you have the fighters to go with it. It's amazing. Your walkout song for your last fight was considered by many the walkout song of the year. Many media outlets said that. Sam and Dave, cool song. Uh, talk about your reasoning behind picking that song. <laughs> Actually, it was uh, my coach, uh, Kami Barzini, kind of said, hey, what do you think about this song? And then I heard it, and he's like, American Gangster. I was like, sounds good to me, and we just rolled with it. My mind's set into this next fight. Biggest, uh, the biggest thing in the sport. When I look at your career and I look at Robbie's journey, I almost see similarities. I know you're younger than him, mm -hmm. but you both had to pay your dues. You yeah. both had to fight to get to where you... Do you see the same way? Yeah, yeah, we both had, uh, uh, you know, our ups and downs in the sport. You know, he's more of a veteran than I am, but, you know, yeah, we've, we've definitely earned our shot to be where we are, right, for sure. Kidu, uh, Grew up in Cornell. Now bites out of look at both you guys. Both you can finish. Both mm -hmm. you have finished. Both of you have had first round stoppers where you've taken guys out. Mm -hmm. How do you see this fight going down? How do you want it to go down? Uh, I think it's going to be aggressive. I think uh, it's going to be a bloody fight. It's going to be hard nosed, but it's also going to be technical. Have you spoken with George at all about approaching it? Yeah, yeah. He texted me the other day. He said he's got some things he learned uh, from Freddie Roach he wants to show me uh, for Southpaws. So, Let's see. Yeah. Wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Appreciate Pleasure. It. Looking forward to it. Uh, you've been back in Kelowna a little bit uh, earlier with Matt Dwyer. and with my coach, David. So, uh, you know, I had a great time last week there. David was in your corner for your last fight. Will he be in the corner for this championship? Yeah, yeah he will be. Um, now, you, uh, you know, traveling, you're here up here with Robbie. You guys are side by side. You're going to be doing this world tour a few times together. How, how's that experience been like being next to the guy that you're going to be punching in the face in July? Uh, not a big deal. You know, we're both professionals, and uh, it's, it's not that hard of a thing. Like, he's, he's a chill guy like me. We can be in the same room. It's not a big deal for us. We've been around the sport for a while, so, you know, when we get in the cage, we'll... You know, we'll scrap it out then. Right now, we're just kind of two people, you know? What do you take away from the, the first fight that you guys had? I mean, it was a split decision loss. It was something that, that happened. It was in 2013. you take anything away from that uh, to prepare for this fight? Um, you know, it was more, uh, not so much for this upcoming fight, but, you know, it really was a good learning experience for me, and I think it showed in my, in my last three fights since then. You know, it really woke me up, and, you know, it... Uh, it's a blessing because it really brought the old school self and the new school of what I've learned at TriStar together, and I felt like it's been, uh, you know, a really good fusion lately, uh, mentally, my mental outlook, and you know, and, and uh, also my technical approach to fighting. Were you surprised that you got this fight? No, I I expected to get the fight after um, he had beat Hendricks, but um, you know, it was a surprise to me that they were going to go for the trilogy actually. So uh, when I got the news that they canceled that and got me the title shot, I felt that it was uh, justified. You know, I, I wasn't surprised. Do you think that um, age-wise, you're 25, he's 33, do you think that evolution, I mean, your mixed martial arts, you started out fighting mixed martial arts, you started out with jiu-jitsu, and you sort of trained the sport as a whole, whereas he started out, you know, as a wrestler. Do you think age makes a factor in terms of training? You're able to evolve a little better than he is? Um, you know, 
I don't I don't think that has anything to do with it. You know, Robbie's been around for a long time, and, and so have I. You know, we both grew up um, in a little bit of the old school mixed martial arts days, and you know we've we've had a look at uh, the new school as well. So we've evolved together. You know, at the same time through this stuff. So. You know, he may be older than me and have a bit more fighting experience, but, you know, we're both at a very high level. This is why we're fighting for that strap. Uh, you were very candid in an interview a few months back with Ariel Helwani. You're saying after you finish fighting, you want to move to, like, a remote location in the woods. Um, do you have an exit strategy? I mean, you started fighting when you were very, very young. Uh, yeah, I, I always think about different things, like careers and, you know, things I want to do, you know. I'm interested in so much, you know, outside of fighting, you know, as far as investments and, and business ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm still so focused on training that I can't really, you know, venture out too far because I don't want any distractions. But, you know, I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm doing research on what I want to be doing. But uh, definitely outdoors is a passion of mine. Do you have a plan for that, that end? Do you know the time frame of how much longer you want to fight? I'll probably fight till I'm like, like 60, to be honest. But I, I, I don't know if it'll be in the UFC but when I'm that old. Hello, everybody. It's me, Justin Pirro, back again for more unpopular opinions here on Sucker Radio at MMASucker.com. And I am joined by a man who has, at different times, been a fighter, a manager, and an intergalactic rock star. He is the lead analyst on the Fight Network. He is Mr. Robin Black. How are you doing today, Robin? Dude, doing good. How about you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, so, first off, I want to say that you guys have been killing it on the Fight Network as far as your UFC coverage since you got the uh, TV rights for the smaller fights. So, kudos to you guys. I really enjoyed the work that was being done with the prelims at the desk. So, kudos to you guys. Ah, thanks, man. I mean, it, we've been working for the last few years just trying to get better at what we do, trying to like find a, a real honest perspective you know there's a lot in the space there's a lot of people i guess in just about any business where it's pretty easy to just do what everybody else does you know that's kind of the easy approach that you can take if you are uh, you know a dentist and everybody dentists fill some teeth put out a thing out front advertise that you're a dentist and then you be a dentist and i think a lot of people in fighting go well you know, I'll ask the same four questions. We'll show the same types of highlights. I'll wear the same type of clothes, and then I'll be an MMA person. And that's probably true in every sport. And we just thought the hard job is to spend three or four or five years trying to do better than that. And that's what we tried to do over the years, and it wasn't always the case. And not everybody liked what we were doing and, and stuff. But if you try hard enough, eventually maybe you'll find a, a, your own perspective. And I kind of think that's what we're doing. I think we look at it a little different. And I think uh, we do it with real honesty, and we're ridiculously committed. We'll put in 60, 70-hour weeks, whatever's necessary to try to do a good gig. And, you know, I, I feel comfortable saying that, and I'm proud to say that, uh, that I think we're doing some good stuff. And I thank you for noticing that. You're welcome. I know that your fight breakdowns, your technique breakdowns, they're great. And it's awesome that you spend the entire time focused on that, unlike a pair of brothers who will spend 18 minutes of a 25-minute minute video shelling their brand. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it depends what your motivation is. Like, fight analysis is starting to become, I mean, there was a few people doing it. Jack Slack is 
you know, probably the godfather of it. He's been, I don't know how long he was around before I took notice of him. But, uh, you know, it was the same thing I was looking at doing, trying to figure out the real art of what's going on in there. I mean, it isn't just two guys who mouth each other off on Twitter and then a fight happens. And then we ask him, what's, go- what's next for you? And we try to guess who they're fighting next. I mean, that's not, that's not fighting, you know? And so I was obsessed with the sport and training it and trying to understand it and trying to learn it and try to figure out what was happening when I wanted to fight, why you couldn't do the things in the cage that you did in training and how long it took to get good at these things and what happened when somebody was better at me, just figure it all out. And so that's, but it depends on motivation. I truly, I'm looking at it, whether I'm kind of slightly unbalanced or weirdly obsessed in unhealthy ways or whatever it is. I think fighting is the coolest thing in the world. I think it's the coolest science in the world. And I get marginally frustrated that other people don't see that. And so like it's in an almost evangelical way, I want to show people. It's like, you have to look at this. This is brilliant. And that's my motivation. It wasn't to get a raise. It wasn't to make money. It wasn't so people thought I was cool or to get Twitter followers. I really, truly wanted people to see that fighting was the coolest thing in the world. And I think if you have that motivation and you just work at it, a couple of years, nobody will pay attention to you. And they probably shouldn't because your breakdowns aren't really that good yet. That was the case for me. And then you learn a little bit more and you ask a lot of new questions. And then, you know, maybe they get a little bit better. And eventually one day, if you keep working, you're like, oh, wait, I, I might have a genuine perspective here that people might want to see. If that's your motives and they'll probably work out. Some people are just like, it would be cool for people to think I'm smart. There's young guys out there that are like, hey, check out how brilliant I am. And it's like, that's, you know, there's no point to that. Or there's other guys out there trying to sell a brand or there's other guys trying to get a job on Fox or whatever. And so, I mean, I don't, whatever your motivation is, that's up to you. But I think if you can just look at fighting as this ridiculously cool thing and uh, try to figure it out more and more and more. That, and uh, that's what I try to do. I try to show people why it's so cool. And I think you do a good job of it. Uh, speaking of Fox, have they ever contacted you about jumping ship? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people ask me that. And I take that as a really crazy compliment. Like, the idea that people will watch what I do and think, wow, that's really good. That should be on whatever the biggest pro- uh, platform is. That's pretty cool. But nobody specifically. I mean, there's definitely people that are friends of mine in the UFC and friends of mine in broadcasting that are like, hey, you know, uh, are you planning to come over here with us? Or, hey, do you want to talk to this one guy? Or, hey, do you want me to recommend you? And right now... I think, like the idea of being uh, in, you know, on a huge, on a big indie record label, which is kind of what Fight Network is. Like we're we're the broadcast partner in Canada, but we're kind of free to make art. I think one yeah. of the reasons I get to make such cool breakdowns and my Black Eye segments I've been working on is because nobody's like, hey, by the way, I need you to do more of X, Y, or Z that everybody else is doing. I'm free to do what I want, and I don't think that would be the case necessarily if I worked for Fox or the UFC. You never know. And I think, one, I like it in Canada. And two, I'd like to think that my bosses see that I'm bringing something unique and that maybe, you know, as, as far as getting taken care of money in that kind of way, you get a raise every couple of years and that, that sort of basic stuff that everybody needs. But that I'm kind of appreciated. I think at the same time, if you keep doing something that people seem to like and is sort of unique to you, if somebody comes to you and says, well, we've had it, we need you, then they'll probably offer you the most stuff, and, they'll, and you'll be able to say to them, hey, 
I want to be John Madden. I, I want to do my breakdowns. I don't want to read prompters about, you know, John Jones' new Nike shoe. I want to be do my breakdown. If that came up, I'd have to examine it. But right now, I have the freedom to do cool stuff. I love the CEO of the company and how he thinks. I like John and uh, Pollock and Ramdeen, and I like my bosses. And I like getting every day. I got a little blackboard, a little Jagermeister blackboard by my desk. And I've got the next four or five weeks of the fights I'm going to watch and what I'm going to figure out and what I'm going to research from them and, and how I'm going to break them down. And, and that makes me pretty happy right now. That's great. And I know you and John Ramdeen have really, over the past two, three years, become the face of the Fight Network. It's come a long way since the days of uh, John Pollock and Wei Ting going to the Pride Parade and jokingly asking people about Pride FC. Yeah, that is a pretty great video. So if you go to, to YouTube and you look at Fight Network Pride or Pride Parade, it won't take you too much searching. But yeah, they go to it and they're like, hey, Pride is back. And they're like talking to people at the Gay Pride Parade, or now it's just when I was a kid they called it. When I first moved to Toronto, it was called the Gay Pride Parade. Now it's just called Pride. But uh, and they basically are like, "Wow, can you believe it? Isn't Pride so much better than the UFC? And isn't it great to see all these guys in Pride and stuff? It's really funny. It's really funny. Yeah. But yeah, I think that we believe like Ram Dean and Pollock were here from the beginning. And when Ram Dean and I started uh, Five Rounds two years ago, it was like. The, the mandate is to do the best real uh, analysis. We, we, it doesn't matter. We're not making crap up. We're not like, you know, regurgitating what somebody, I, I try not to watch or read too many other people's stuff anymore because I don't want to accidentally regurgitate stuff. And usually often when I read it, I start reading it. And I'm like, did this guy just lift this straight from me? And I know that's not always the case, but sometimes you look and you're like, I feel like, this is something I said two weeks ago, almost word for word, including terms I used to describe this kind of fighter. And so sometimes you get frustrated, and other times you're like, well, I don't want to accidentally do that. I don't want to see somebody's thing. And, you know, like one day I'll be talking about broken rhythms on, on a, a popular podcast, and the next day somebody will be writing about broken rhythms in striking. Now, that might be a coincidence, but it might not. So I just try to stay up here and do the best work we can and concentrate on what we're doing. And in some way, you really do want to, if you can, if you believe that that looking at fighting and seeing its beauty is something that people should do more of, then you do want to influence the, the culture. You hope that more people analyze stuff and you hope that they do, you know, take some of the things you do and, and pass them around. So, you know, once in, on one sense, you know, you want to do unique work. But on the other hand, you hope that people start to pick it up and use it and ideas become part of the lexicon. I mean, Joe Rogan has done that from day one. Things like posture up in the guard, even terms like ground and pound. One day someone has to say that, you know? That's true. That wasn't a thing. It didn't just exist by itself. Somebody had to call striking when somebody else was on the ground, ground and pound. So you, you do hope that you can influence the culture a little bit if, if you're lucky and if you do good work. Certainly. And uh, moving on to the culture, you've been a manager, you've been a fighter, and now we're coming to a point where a generation of fighters is looking like it's coming up to the end of their careers. Guys like Josh Koscheck. And I know I've, I've been harping on him and his career a lot lately because I've been wondering at what point do coaches and managers need to step in and have the proverbial come to Jesus meeting with fighters? Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, because I mean, like I said, you fought. You were five yeah. and four. You could have been five and five had your opponent not bailed on the weigh-ins yeah. and forfeited. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, where do you stand? 
Well, I mean, I get it because I'm 45 years old and I still want to fight. And I retired. I said I'm done, and I, I guess I am done. But I got a text the other day from a guy in Quebec who puts on a show, and he's like, hey, by the way, I got a guy for you. And I said, well, no, I'm done fighting. And like four minutes later, I text him back, well, tell me about him. As soon as you say that, you're thinking about it. Oh, really? He's from where? Oh, so his training is at what level? Oh, okay. And how tall is he? And you start thinking about it. And I think that'll happen probably forever. And you never know. I mean, people shouldn't even say they retire. But when you're old, you probably should hang it up and start having health issues and stuff. But so the, if, if a 45-year-old TV analyst who fought at the very lowest level of all, the lowest level of the whole sport, who didn't make any money at it and won't make any now, uh, is still and is, you know, was past his prime when he started and never, you know what I mean? Like I was just the very lowest level of getting able to do it. And I enjoyed it so much. And I still think about it. Can you imagine what it's like for Josh Kostya, who is like, yeah, his whole life has revolved around it. When he trains and what he eats and what, where he lives and how he sleeps and, and what he's learning and what he's reading and the sacrifices and when he says no to birthday cake, all of that in his whole life has revolved around this sport. And now you just, and uh, part of his identity and who he is, people say, oh, that's Josh Kostya. He fights in the UFC. Oh, this, you know my friend? He's a UFC fighter. Uh, he teaches uh, young guys come to him uh, what who what people write him on Twitter and Facebook all the normal identity things that we all have that's who he is and he's made millions of dollars at it see if if I still want to do it and I made nothing and achieved nothing compared to, to you know even the lowest level UFC fighter can you imagine what it must be like for them so in my opinion it is entirely up to the fighter but that doesn't mean that his friends his family his coaches and medical professional friends shouldn't try to talk them out of it if that's what they believe. You know, if they're like, dude, seriously, uh, you know, if a coach says, I've been training you for 10 years and you are 25% slower than you were and uh, you seem to take more damage when you get hit and uh, you've had that knee problem and I'm watching to take care of it and, uh, hey, man, you've got kids now to the guys who, you know, all those things, they should say all that. But ultimately, it's going to be up to the guy. It's hard to tell somebody Whatever it is they've done their whole life, don't do that anymore. Uh, I don't want you to do it. And they're like, well, I mean, these are people whose entire lives were based around striving for things and doing things that people told them not to. Like, I mean, when you're 39 years old and you're going to have your first pro fight, everybody's telling you not to do it. People are telling you you're insane. They think you've lost your mind. You're making a terrible mistake. Why would you do this? All of that started before Josh Kostick fought in the UFC. So what he's hearing from his friends and his family and stuff, he's been hearing all along. So it's really hard. It's, it's, it's a tough one. And you don't like seeing guys go down or get injured or have depression or any of these kinds of things. So it's a tough one. You have to admit it's a really it's a beautiful sport, but it's, it's, in, it's a dangerous sport. It it definitely is. And uh, should managers and coaches at some point when they see that the tail end of a fighter's career starting to come up, should they be helping that fighter to prepare an exit strategy to maybe ease back into civilian life? Yeah, I think I think that's what you want to do for a friend and whatever it is they, they have to change in their life. But how you do that is tricky. I mean, think of Josh Kostick. They say he has a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I know people that know him personally and know the businesses that he's involved in and, and stuff. And they say money's not an issue. So and then you and neither would be time if you've got businesses to run. 
So the exit strategy <laughs> sounds like it's laid out for him. And he still is part of the, the defining nature of who the man is at its root that won't let him do it. It isn't money. It isn't something else to focus on. It's if you've spent your whole life being a competitor, a whole life where fighting was who you are and what you, what you are, it's really tough. And you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts of the strategy are the easy part. It's, it's getting yourself to accept that. It's also accepting age. I mean, you, he's 37 or 38. I mean, when are you going to do it? Is it 40? Is it 42? Is it uh, Ken Shamrock now? You know, like, although at the same time, Ken sure hit it on the head when he said in an interview, I think Ken is 50, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's coming back to fight. And he said, listen, you know, some people like to go fishing and some people like to read books and some people like to build cabinets in their spare time. And I like to, I like to go to the gym and I like to train and I like to push my body and I like to compete in front of a lot of people. And Ken's feeling was, I know exactly what I'm doing and I've earned the right to fight for fun now. And if people want to pay to see me, I want to do it. And that's really tough to argue. You know, when you're a grown human being living in, in the freest countries you know, in human history in a lot of ways. And uh, we tell you, I mean, if we really want to save millions of people, we're not going to outlaw prize fighting. We're going to outlaw sugar. You know, we're going to outlaw cigarette smoking. We're going to outlaw a lot of things that kill tens of millions of people. I mean, sugar and salt and junk food kill tens and tens of millions of people. If we're not going to tell like it will kill you when you will get diabetes. We're not going to tell, you know, we're not going to save 50 million lives by outlawing junk food, which will kill, I don't know, 5, 10 million people next year. Definitively, we know it will kill them. How can we tell Ken Shamrock that he's not allowed to do what he wants in that same country? You know, you raise a pretty good point there. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's had quite the year. He went from originally going to the UK and <laughs> fighting the King of the Gypsies in bare knuckle boxing. And now he's fighting Kimbo's lace for Bellator. Yeah. Now that way, what you can do. What, so why do we care? Like if we're going to look at it and go, we're not doing anything to save human, stop human trafficking in this country or to stop genocide in this country or to stop, you know, the, the death by illness in, in North America. If we're not going to do any of those things. Why do we care what Ken Shamark does? And the answer is because we're deeply invested in Ken Shamrock. He represents something to us. We've learned who he is. We feel we know him. We feel that he is a, a person that we care about. So I get that. You know, I, I understand that. But in the end, if you don't want to support Ken Shamrock, you have to not watch that fight. And the truth is, I, I want to watch that fight. And I support his right to have it. So it's a, it's a tough one. It, it really is. Most conversations like this, are really challenging if you dig into all of the sides. I mean, in North America, we, we very quickly have become a culture of saying, are you, for, uh, uh, are you for the freedom of a woman to choose an abortion or are you against it? We rarely have conversations about why both sides may make sense. We, we don't go, do you think, we say, is global warming real or not real? People will rarely have a conversation about those issues. And, you know, we'll go, oh, I hate steroids, or 
you know, John Ramdeen uh, a few times has said, hey, guys have to do what they have to do to survive, and guys have come up at different levels. That's a highly unpopular opinion for somebody to say on TV. But it's, it's partly only because we don't have the hour to really dig into it, to really look at what it would mean to, to strive for something your entire lifetime and then realize, oh, my God, I'm fighting in Japan. There's no testing, and I've seen my opponent, and I'm 90% sure he's used drugs that I really don't want to ever use in my life. Now what am I going to do? You know, And all these millions of things, the easy answer is ban this or suspend that guy or tell him to quit fighting or uh, global warming is or isn't real, or any of these giant statements. But the main reason we get so so quick to have such a strong opinion is we believe that we don't have time to discuss it. And you know what? We do have time to have these conversations. You're right. And, you know, I actually hadn't put that much thought into it, but you're right. You know, it's like a lot of the time, well, we also, jumping to, to uh, conclusions is, something that we all do pretty rapidly, you know, I, I did. Mm, a, hey, it's most people's workout these days, <laughs> jumping to conclusions. Exactly. Exactly. I did a piece on uh, Ryan LaFleur and how he is a part of a, this 4.0 era of fighting and how, um, you know, he's part of a brand. It's different being Ryan LaFleur or anyone now than it was being Matt Hughes, because you can, by calling up three coaches, have access to every single piece of information that's ever been known about fighting that took your predecessors 25 years of trial and error and, and the people before them and the people before them. Now you can just get it. You can just get it. And if you're a really good athlete, you can just apply it. And if you're not a really good athlete, you can get access to the highest level of figuring out how to become a great athlete, you know? So it's a different deal. And so we posted it after the fight and people were like, yeah, right. Ryan LaFleur sucks. No, he doesn't. I mean, he fought Damian Maya. Damian Maya stifles most anybody. And the fact that he was able to take LaFleur down, and LaFleur is only a purple belt. Yeah. That's like, I mean, that's like putting me in with Hicks and Gracie. It's not, I mean, I'm going to last all of five seconds before my hand slapping the mat. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's so many other elements to it. But he believes if you watch Ryan LaFleur versus Roy McDonald, or um, uh, Damian Maya versus Roy McDonald, Damien Maya got Rory down and got him mounted in round one. But Rory fought yeah. back with all of the tools that you do, trying to re- get back to half guard, trying to get back to your feet. All of those things require energy. They, you burn sugars to make that happen. Your body burns glu- um, glucose to make that happen. And that makes you tired. And so when that happened, Rory McDonald made Damien Maya tired. So rounds two and round three. R- round one, Damien Maya... Um, controlled him exactly the way he controlled uh, LeFleur. But rounds two and three, he was too tired to do so because of the elite athleticism, the young, you know, attribute-based fighting Rory McDonald. Well, it would have been pretty a pretty good bet to bet that Ryan LeFleur would do the same thing. Ryan LeFleur doesn't suck. Ryan LeFleur against the Damian Maia that fought Rory McDonald uh, has a close round two and then owns round three, four, and five. What you can't predict is that Damian Maya raised those attributes to such a degree, got himself learned from the Rory McDonald loss, which was based on getting burnt out, going after what you wanted, and learned to pace himself differently and came in better shape, that Ryan LaFleur took round five definitively, but only six months earlier, he would have taken rounds three, four, and five definitively. 
And that, I mean, that's that doesn't mean Ryan LaFleur sucks. And you see people, oh, his takedown defense is terrible. Timing on a take, like, you, your jo- my job starts to become, when I look at that, it's like, wow, we're a long way from people really seeing this. Because I hate seeing that. What I hate, one of the things I hate is when people go, oh, this guy sucks. This guy doesn't suck. These people are among the elite. Sure, the, the undercard of the undercard, there were two guys from, from, uh, from uh, Ultimate Fighter uh, Latin America on the card. One was 1-0 and and one was 5-0. and Now, those guys still will knock out 97% of the humans walking the planet. They will. They will beat 97% of the men walking the planet. But compared to Rory McDonald, they, they aren't his level. So we are seeing They're that. They're not. And it, we are seeing that slide. That's just, yeah, some of that's just n- national development. Yep. Certain places aren't as advanced. Yeah. You know, Japan isn't as advanced in terms of weight cutting. That's why I feel so many of their athletes have issues when they come over to North America. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's diet issues yeah. in some countries. There's wrestling issues in others. Um, but it's yeah. also a function of because the sport grows and because corporate business is about expansion – when the when the UFC expands into all these different markets, how uh, now you're looking at 500 UFC fighters. Well, the top 200 are among the best, you know, fighters in human history, and then the next 200 are really, really, really good, and then the next 200 are a little lower. And when you get to a point that you need to do 40 and 45 shows a year, you need that many fighters, and you're going to have some of those guys. And so you do get the, the level slides ever so slightly. But people need to understand that the 452nd best mixed martial arts fighter on planet Earth is still has a better understanding about combat and about what to do in combat than 97% of all people that have ever lived. I mean, uh, there's a beautiful piece on the internet. I think it's called Jiu-Jitsu is Beautiful. It's a little YouTube video. And it takes Joe Rogan's voice from some of his podcasts. And it's got a little clip from when I was on his podcast. And in it, and then it's, to it, it shows a lot of different video of Jiu-Jitsu and other stuff. But he makes a point in one of his podcasts. It's like you see these people in certain situations in their life, and there's like a fight kind of going down or like pushing and shoving and talking that that happens before a fight in the real world. And these people are standing there, no experience, no knowledge whatsoever in how to fight. And they are angry and so confident that things are going to go their way. And it's like, how could you be confident? That would be like being confident, performing brain surgery, if it was you or me. Like, we don't know anything about brain surgery. So if somebody said, you're going to have to perform brain surgery drunk in this bar in front of all these people right now, why would we believe that we could do it? And yet that's how people look at, at fighting. I think somewhere in us, people believe that it's something that everyone can do. And that's just simply not true. You know, fighting is a complex, complex expression of art and violence and, con- you know, all of these things, um, technology, you know, understanding of human movement, kinesiology, biology, understanding how your brain works. It's all of these things. And yet for some reason, you can get 10 people together to watch a fight and they'll see BJ Penn and they'll say, I'd fight BJ Penn. I think I got a puncher's chance. You don't have a puncher's chance against BJ Penn. You have literally 0% chance against BJ Penn. But people look at things that was just so bizarre to me. So much of it, I think, has to do with the the inherent size difference. I mean, BJ Penn does not look like the largest man. <laughs> he could probably knock out the largest man in the bar, yeah. but he doesn't look like the largest man. Yeah. The... Um, 
he could knock out the largest man in the bar before he even goes to make way. At times, he's been as high as 200 pounds. He fought Lyoto Machida in Japan, Japan or Hawaii. Yep. I can't remember where. At a, I about, think it was Japan. I think it yeah. was uh, – you guys had it on the best of dream, I think. Or... <laughs> yeah, we do have it. We do air it here on Fight Network. But uh, that, he was close to 200 pounds. So, I mean, that's BJ Penn just cruising around in the world. Um, he fought at 145. He probably weighed about 160, 170. When he fought at 170, he probably weighed 180 or 190. Trust me, that's big enough to knock out the biggest man that you know that isn't a fighter easily. Also, get out of that. When a guy goes to grab you, like if a 250-pound man grabs a you know a 145-pound fighter, he can't hold on to him because the, the way you move direction against his body, I mean, the way when you just pop somebody's elbow towards the sky that grabs you on the neck, they don't understand what's happening. The body doesn't know how to react to that. So the most typical thing that somebody doesn't know how to fight does is overreact. And that's exactly what you don't want to do against somebody who understands, you know, the kinesiology of fighting. So it's a really wild thing. And so I think I look at that as part of my, both my job and kind of my calling is to look at this thing that we're all looking at. And on the highest levels, fighting is, is evolving like any other sort of almost a technology that the worst fighters of the top 500 of UFC fighters are better than a lot of the best fighters 20 years ago in the world. They know more, they move their body better, they understand, their knowledge is higher, and it moves the same way that now your cell phone is smarter than one of your computers that you had in your house eight or nine years ago. Your cell phone does way more. It knows more. Its density of information is more. Fighting is like that. So the coaches know that. The fighters know that. And the people who are training it know that. But the audience doesn't know that. And it's my job and the job of people like me. If if the thing is going to go and people are going to look at it and go, wow, that's amazing. That's beautiful. I want to understand it in ways other than yelling slogans at them on a, on a quick 30-second commercial with fast, bright lights and people waving their arms in the air and seven punches being exchanged by two men standing in front of each other. If we want people to understand beauty in ways other than that, I think that's my job. You know, I think that's what, what I'm supposed to do. And you do do a good job of that. I mean, people don't understand that. Like, I'm 200 pounds. I can... I've rolled with guys who were 145, 150, and just by sinking their hip in right, I can't get them off me. Yeah, yep, I know. It's shocking. It really is shocking. I mean, it, uh, the, uh, there's certain things, like when somebody watches those guys who take their motorcycles and they go up a, up a hill and they fly up into the air and they flip three or four times, I wonder if people that are, like, say, 15 right now, like when I was a kid, that didn't exist. That was not human. No human had ever done that. And it wasn't possible. And you would watch a guy go jumping up. Maybe, I don't think even the first flick may have happened until 10 or 15 years ago. So when I watch that now, it's just like, holy crap. Look how far humanity has gone in their ability to perform stuff. And why do we watch anything? Why are we going to watch the greatest singer or the greatest football team? We're just looking for greatness. We're just going to stand around and go, Holy crap, that was amazing. That's what we're looking to look for. Why, why do we give a, an award for the best actor? We want to see who does something amazing that makes us cry or laugh or whatever. Why do we all stand around, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 people at a concert to hear someone sing? Because it's just so good. 
They're like, wow, I want to hear people do things great. And when somebody takes a motorcycle and they flip it up in the air six times, that's pretty freaky when only 15 years ago that wasn't humanly possible. And fighting is like that. People are able to do things with their body in a fight now, and their brains probably even more importantly so. And I want everybody to look and go, do you understand what a renaissance of human performances is? You know, do you, do you understand, like, what, at what level people are performing in, in ways of human greatness? And uh, so I guess that's what I do here. <laughs> I guess I've just figured out my job. That's what I'm trying to do. Well, and as I said, you're doing a great job of it. So I want to ask one last thing before we bring this to an end. Uh, Elias Theodoro, he speaks highly of you. He says he goes to you for advice all the time. Have you ever once suggested that he walk out to uh, one of your old tracks, some of you boys? <laughs> that would be really funny. Um, well, a couple of things. One is I just think he's a great guy. Like, he's a brilliant guy. And he's and I like being around people like that. One is just he's a sweetheart. And but also he's he's great. He he's great in most areas of his life. He strives to be great. And I like to be around people like that. And then second of all, you don't mess with another man's walkout track. <laughs> like whether some people are doing it for their own type of expression or like I did, trying to associate it with being at a point of good performance. So when you're doing well or when you're performing well, you're feeling great, then you listen to it. So it becomes kind of an anchor of of quality performance or people have their own purpose. So definitely wouldn't, wouldn't advise them that way. But um, I'm, it's, it's nice to hear that he, that he does that. I mean, you just want to do well at stuff. You know, you just want to go out and, and whatever it is you do, you, you want to try to do it good for its own sake. You don't want to try to do it good. You know, like speaking English, for example, do it good. You don't want to do it good because it might pay you because that's not going to work. You don't want to do it good because it might get you laid because that may or may not work and it won't always work. You want to do your, your gig good. At, well, I guess I should start with that. You want to do it well for its own sake. Because if you do that, it's a lot easier. You know, if you get to the point you just want to do quality work, it becomes a lot easier. And I think that's probably something you can use in just about anything in life. And I learned that from Bob Ezrin as a music producer, watching him work. And he was working on a record that I was making and he did it for nothing. And when I saw how hard he worked and how seriously he took it and how how important being a good artist was to him and stuff, I just learned it's like your life, whether you, whatever you accomplish, whatever you're going to do, is probably going to be a lot better if you just try to do good stuff for its own sake, not for some other personal or selfish motivation. And that's just, I'm trying to do that. I hope, you know, sometimes you do it. And when you do, you try to figure out how to do it more. In the end, I mean, not everybody cares about fighting. And not everybody cares about somebody talking about fighting, but there's some people who do, and they seem to like our perspective, and I'm really glad of that. All right, and I think that's uh, I think we'll start wrapping this up now, then, because you can't really end on a better note than that. Uh, is there anything coming up this week or next week that you'd like to take the opportunity to plug? Well, this weekend, uh, which I believe is the March 28th. It's like the only non-UFC Saturday night I think that we have. Maybe we have one other one in the next 12. So I was very unhappy not having fighting to talk about. So me and Ram Dean, actually, are friends. 
over at that fight for pride. There's a four in the middle. It's in Laval, mm-hmm. Quebec. They're flying us out to commentate it. And we'll air it on Fight Network. So we're heading out this kid, Yanni Sherbatov. He's a really great 125er. There's a lot of great fighters. Stranya, a lot of good fighters on the show. But Yanni's probably the real prospect that you could see, you know, up at the top levels. So we're going out to Laval to do that. And then the following week, I guess we got Mendez Lama. Lamas, so yep. I'm gonna do a breakdown. Lama with two L's. I'm gonna do a breakdown on on Mendez and Lamas. Maybe you know how Lamas initiates and Mendez counterpunches, but they they flip flop. Both do a lot of that. And then I think I'm creating a a drinking game for um, for Gamebred versus Ray Janelle. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. And uh, those air I think on our pre-show on April 4th. So the, and then every weekend after that. You know, I look on my, my calendar here. I'm doing a breakdown for Krokop versus Gonzaga 1. And uh, Jan Blakowicz is fighting on that same card. And we commentated a lot of his fights in KSW out of Poland. So do a breakdown. And just, you know, the weeks go by and you start looking at the things that you hope to show people the beauty in it. Uh, Cub Swanson is apparently, we discussed maybe doing a podcast with him. And that'll be really cool. So there's a bunch of stuff. It's, you know... I get to just chase my curiosity all day, every day, and try to share it with people, and I'm pretty lucky. That's great. Now, where can people find you in the social media universe? Twitter.com slash Robin Black MMA, and at Facebook, I'm slash The Robin Black. Um, and then um, if you go to YouTube, check out our our YouTube channel. It's The Fight Network. And uh, all our breakdowns and all of our chats and podcasts and stuff are all up there. There's three or four things every day, so it's pretty cool. It's like time; it gets busier. You know, the more you can do now, you know, the 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 space is busy. And if you've got a good perspective or you got some good ideas or you want to show some things, you gotta you gotta stay busy because one thing you never want if you if you really believe you're doing good work, you don't you want you don't want anyone to outwork you. You know, you wanna. You want to outwork them all and do better work if you can. It's hard to do. I mean, you can't always do it, but you got to try. That's that's right. All right. And once again, he is lead analyst for the Fight Network. He is Robin Black. You can watch him every day on the Fight Network here in Canada and on the United States. Thank you for your time, Robin. Thanks, brother. It was great chatting with you. Joining me now is the winner of Tough 18 and a member of Sick Jitsu in Washington State. Please welcome Juliana, the Venezuelan vixen Peña to Sucker Radio. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, you've been out of action since late 2013. Obviously, you know that. Uh, From the looks of your Facebook photos, though, your training's going very well. Just explain the recovery process and how training has been going for this upcoming fight. Um, training is going great. The recovery process was obviously a, a tough and tedious one. Uh, I did everything that the doctors asked of me, and I worked very diligently just as if I was uh, getting ready for a fight. And, um, you know, probably about six to seven months afterwards, it was feeling uh, just like normal, and, and now it's almost like a what knee injury, you know? For sure. Now, I, I noticed as well that you've been cross-training a little bit, heading out from Washington State and training elsewhere. Uh, just speak about that a little bit. 
Well, uh, I've been invited, you know, when, once you win the Ultimate Fighter, especially being the first female uh, Ultimate Fighter champion, you kind of get open doors to a lot of different places and, and people wanting to uh, help out and everything like that. Um, I got an uh, opportunity, uh, thank you to Dan Lambert, I want to give a shout out to him, for uh, inviting me to American Top Team down in, in Florida. And I trained there for a week. And then uh, I went down to thank you, Dwayne Ludwig, for letting me <laughs> join them and train them, train there for a week. And, uh, you know, I kind of just take the good things that work for me, take the things that I learn, you know, try to soak it in as much as I can and try to be a sponge. And then I take it back home and, and continue to work on those things that I worked there and, you know, take the good and throw out the stuff that wasn't, you know, uh, sticking with me so much. Now, training-wise, uh, how do you feel mentally in the training room? Because an injury like that's got to weigh on you heavily at the time. But as of right now, mentally speaking, how is it inside the training facilities that you're training at? Uh, it's it's fantastic. You know, um, I, I have I've been having a really great camp. Uh, I have no excuses. Uh, everything has been going uh, according to plan, and now the only game plan is to show up for the fight. Uh, last time I was unaccountable on fight day, and so my only concern right now is just making it to the fight and showing up on fight day injury free. Now we I I don't want to speak about about the past and the injury and how it occurred. We had Josh Gao on the show following the injury. You told your side of the story, so I'm not going to get into the, any of that. But have you guys trained together since the injury? And you are you guys cool? Uh, yeah, we're fine. There's no bad blood whatsoever. Uh, we haven't been training uh, together, but he still trains when he can. And um, yeah, I mean, there's there's no hard feelings whatsoever. Uh, it's, accidents in the gym happen all the time and I think that ours got blown out of proportion and, and quite a bit exaggerated um, but everything's fine and, and there's no bad blood or hard feelings whatsoever. Were you upset with Dana's comments about Sick Jitsu, the gym itself? Uh, I was a little bit. I think though that it was my fault because I was uh, instructed to call him and I was on my way to the hospital hysterically freaking out bawling my eyes out and going nuts on the phone while he was on the phone yeah so I think that was probably my first mistake and he probably was just like whoa 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 you know I had so much momentum coming off of the show and he just kind of uh, just heard what I said and then kind of you know put his own spin on it but you know I don't blame him he's uh, you know the boss and and whatever he'll say whatever he says you know I'm never going to go against him I, I uh, very much highly respect Dana I love him uh, to death, and uh, so it is what it is. You know, it's water under the bridge now, and I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, you speak about coming off a high. There were super high expectations for you coming off the show. Now you will finally make your return to the Octagon on April on April 4th in Fairfax, Virginia. Since you've been out for so long, do you do you think this will feel like your UFC debut all over again? Do do you think the jitters will be there? Well, I think that the jitters are always there no matter what, you know, uh, you're getting into a fist fight and I don't think that, you know, that's for normal people or that's for something that's normal, you know, that the body can ever be like, oh, it's another walk in the park, you know, it's a fist fight and it's, you're going to war basically. And so there's always going to, to be pre-fight jitters, you know, and that's just part of the gig, you know, um, but at the same time. Uh, a lot of people also have never given me credit saying that I'm not a real UFC fighter because I was only fighting on the Ultimate Fighter finale, and uh, it was for the Ultimate Fighter finale, and it wasn't a real UFC. So I'm excited to finally uh, close the mouths of those people who who say that I'm not a real UFC fighter, and, and yeah, it does feel like my debut. 
Good. <laughs> your opponent, Melania Dudavia, last fought your teammate, Elizabeth Phillips, took home a controversial decision. I, I know your coach was up in arms about this. Did you learn much from watching that fight and about her as an opponent? Absolutely. Uh, I see Milana as extremely dangerous. Uh, she's someone who's trying to take your head off at all times, and I'm very aware of that. So, uh, you know, I, I take her very seriously. I know that she's a really strong girl, and I know that she did walk away with a decision that I don't agree with. And uh, so it's my job to, to, to finish the fight, and that's exactly what I plan on doing on April 4th. Has Elizabeth been helping you out a lot with this camp? Absolutely. She's been my, my only, basically my only training partner uh, every single day. With the division basically, you know, being ragdolled by Ronda Rousey, where do you feel a win against Dudavia puts you ranking-wise? Uh, I'm not sure where it puts me. I think the rankings are a joke anyways um, and that they don't really mean much. So, you know, my job is to just climb up the ladder and to, to get up there as fast as possible and to just stay healthy, remain healthy, and, and win my fights. And that's all I'm focused on. All I'm focused on right now is Milana and getting past her. And if I can do that, then I'll just, you know, fight whoever the UFC tells me. I'm, I'm not afraid of anybody, and I'll fight anyone that they put in front of me. And uh, it's just my job to go out there and perform and win my fights. And so if that means, you know, taking two, two fights and winning those or three fights or, you know, whatever, then I'll do whatever it takes in order to get to a title shot. I didn't get in this sport to be, you know, at the bottom of the rankings, and I definitely didn't get there to, to be a person that just gets walked on all over. You know, I want to be the champion, and I want to work hard to show that I am a real and true contender that is the one to be facing Ronda for the belt for real. Come July, rankings will matter, though, in, in terms of uh, paychecks and whatnot. Do you not agree with that? I mean, that's what they're saying about this whole Reebok deal. The top-ranked guys are going to be paid more than, than the lower-ranked people. Well, I think that that's a little – I mean, I would like it if it was, like, top 10 women, top 10 men, you know. Um, that would make more sense because uh, there's only one girl who's in the top 10, and that's Rhonda, and, yeah. and that's it, men and women included. Uh, I'm obviously not too bright when it comes to those types of subjects. I, <laughs> I kind of just pay attention to the, the training and, and the fighting aspect of things. So I'm kind of in la-la land as far as – the whole Reebok deal is concerned. I don't really know too much about that, and I need to educate myself more on that. And uh, that's going to happen uh, fight week when I go over to Virginia and fight so that I can get um, more educated on the whole Reebok deal so that I know what's going to be coming and what I need to be doing to make sure that I can be getting paid more. But I do know that, you know, uh, I've been getting a royal royalty checks for, you know, my um, trading cards that are out there from Topps. Nice cards, and uh, so so I'm already seeing some of the benefits of, of having my stuff and merchandise sold, and so I'm I'm happy with that. And you know, I think that the UFC does a good job of taking care of their fighters uh, in general, and so I'm not too worried at the end of the day. You spoke about wanting to fight Rousey. Um, you know her obviously pretty well with your with your time on the show. She she's basically looked unstoppable. Everyone they put in front of her, they tout as her toughest opponent. I know your coach Rick Little has, has said that you are the one to beat her. Um, how would you see a fight between the two of you going down? Uh, I'm not really sure. Like I said, my main focus is on Milena and uh, and fighting whoever they want in front of me after that. You know, so Ronda's uh, 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 head of the game and she's um, 
ahead of me as far as ranking goes and there's a lot of other girls that deserve their chances to fight her before I can get to her so I'll focus on her when I get there but uh, I just need to take my fights as they come and, and win my fights as they come and then I'll worry about Ronda later Okay, moving away from you then um, one person that could fight Ronda is your friend Misha Tate she says that she's the one to beat her they fought twice already there's definitely a possibility that this fight there could be a third fight um, after Ronda's next outing, you never know because Misha's so high up there in the rankings still. Do you think a third fight is appealing, uh, not just to you, but to the fans, especially the way the first two went? I, I do. Misha's the only one that's proven to be worth a shit out of all of the girls that have fought Ronda, and I think that Misha has the best chance at beating her up until I get the opportunity to fight Ronda. So if anybody's going to do it, it is going to be Misha Tate, and I believe in her, and uh, you know she's my favorite female fighter, and so I, I just support her all the way, and I just uh, hope that she gets that opportunity to do that. All right, moving away from your fight and, and fighting in general, I noticed that you've made – your picks for the NCAA tournament, how, how, have you done well lately um, over the weekend? Did you do well? Any upset picks that turned out right for you? Uh, I don't know. That's kind of a sore subject. I have somebody that's a hold on my social medias, and, and so I think that they made my bracket. I, I haven't even looked at it, to tell you the truth. But what I will say is that uh, I'm always, always pulling for the hometown, and uh, the Gonzaga Bulldogs are in the 509 in Spokane, Washington, down the street from where I live. You know, So I'm a huge Zags fan. I'll always support the home team, and, and it feels like a good year for them to win it. So go Zags. And uh, I hope that they take the whole thing. Let's talk about Sig Jitsu a little bit. I, I know you guys have your, your core group of fighters that, that you know you travel with, Sam Cecilia, uh, Michael Chiesa. Are there any other guys at the gym that, that we should keep our eyes out for? Uh, yeah, a lot of up-and-comers. You know, I have some guys that I would literally uh, go to uh, – battle to the core for them you know they are UFC caliber and and I think that they are phenomenal fighters and I think that just with a little bit more experience and a little bit more you know pro fights on the local cards that they they should definitely be getting their chance to fight in the UFC soon finally I heard your jeep died the other day have you found a new ride yet or or are you hoping for a bonus check in your next outing uh to buy a nice new ride well, yeah, that's the thing, you know. Um, well, I, I won that, that Harley Davidson, and uh, I got hurt shortly after that. And uh, and then I, I never got the Harley because uh, I literally, quite honestly, to be frank, have absolutely no business owning such a piece of equipment. Um, I've fallen off of a moped, a scooter, a bicycle, a four-wheeler, a snowmobile. I I've shot a Colt 45 in the house once on accident. You know, these <laughs> kinds of things are very dangerous. And uh, and I passed the Harley-Davidson riding course by one point, and I think it's just because they felt bad for me because I had put in, you know, four days of work trying to learn how to ride the thing. But to be honest, it terrifies me. And uh, so I still haven't received my Harley, and what I'm hoping for is that I can just trade it across for a car. But who knows, you know, if, it, if that doesn't end up happening, then I'll just end up taking the Harley. And uh, I'm going to be more at leverage to, to be talking about that stuff after my fight and after I win, you know, because at the end of the day, I did win the Harley. And so if it co really comes down to it, I'll just take the Harley. But yeah, what I really need is a new car. I, I drive a hand-me-down, you know, Jeep that's the same age as me that my sister got when she was 16 and she's 31 now, you know, so it's still 
still alive and kicking. My dad's been working on it for the last week, and uh, he thankfully has given me his his rig uh, to borrow so that I can get to and from practice. So it's been a little tedious um, trying to get around and stuff, but he's he's made it uh, capable for me to to get to practice. And I just want to uh, thank my dad for that. And um, yeah, it's nice rolling in a car that has you know air conditioner and heater and a radio and isn't you know spewing oil everywhere. So <laughs> it's been a nice change the last week and a half. I feel more like a gangster rolling in this car than I do in my Jeep. So it's nice. It's been nice. If you could trade that Harley, what is, what's the dream vehicle that you would buy? Oh, I think I have some high expectations. I would definitely probably just take a car that's probably worth less, you know, so that I could, you know, keep some money. I don't know, (laughs) but my dream car is a SRT4 Jeep Cherokee, Grand Cherokee. It's got to be an SRT4. She is Juliana Pena. She will make her long-awaited return to the Octagon on April 4th at UFC Fight Night 63. Juliana, it's been awesome catching up with you. Uh, just let the folks know where they can get a hold of you and catch up with you in the social media universe. Absolutely. You can uh, check me out on Twitter and on Instagram, at uh, Venezuelan Vixen. And I also have a fan page that I would love if you guys could like and check out. It's called Juliana, the Venezuelan Vixen Pena. I'm on Snapchat at Venezuelan Vixen, but probably don't add me on Snapchat because I probably have like a million requests on there and I just haven't added anyone. <laughs> Only people that I recognize and know. So yeah, uh, at Venezuelan Vixen where you can find me on my social media. All the best in your return next week and can't wait to see you back inside the Octagon. Thank you, MMA sucker. I appreciate it. You too. Phew. You know, <laughs> it's over. We have come to the end. It was a long one. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Uh, I'd like to thank my guests right from the get-go, you know, leading all the way up to the end there. Thank you to Zach Sold from DraftKings. As always, as he said, if you head on over to DraftKings.com and enter in the promo code MMASUCKA, that's right, you'll get a free entry into any game. First-time depositors enter in the coupon code MMASUCKA, and you will get $3 entry into any game you want on the DraftKings site. doesn't have to be mixed martial arts. can be anything. As I said to him, I am highly addicted to this site. And, and you know, most times you don't want to uh, state that, but, you know, the first step is claiming and telling the truth that you are addicted to something. And, yes, I am addicted to DraftKings. So... Head on over to DraftKings.com. There's no mixed martial arts this weekend, but yes, there are fantasy sports. They have NHL, NBA, um, no NFL. I'm sure there's soccer. So head on over to DraftKings.com, enter in the promo code MMASUCKA, get a free entry into one of those games. Thank you to the UFC for heading out west to Vancouver, beautiful downtown Vancouver, the Westin Grand, for their media day. UFC 189 World Tour, I had the opportunity to interview Rory McDonald and Robbie Lawler, so thank you to those guys and the UFC themselves. Justin Pirro, thanks for always giving us your unpopular opinions, and his guest Robin Black, that was a fun one, 31 minutes, um, sort of took over the show, but thanks guys. Uh, and finally, I am super excited to see her back inside the octagon next weekend, April 4th, live from Fairfax, Virginia, Juliana, the Venezuelan vixen, Pena. Um, I told her I'd help her out, so I, I'm going to have a link to her website 
on this podcast page. But if you want to get her walkout shirt, her t-shirt, um, to help support the cause, it is her first time back inside the cage in well over a year. So head on over to julianapenashop.com. That's J-U-L-I-A-N-N-A-P-E-N-A-S-H-O-P.com. And uh, purchase her walkout shirt to help support her. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we get to see her more than once inside the octagon in this calendar year because, as she said, she's been out for so long and and she's just got the rage to get back in there. So let's hope uh, we see that. There were there is a fight announcement that I wanted to talk about before letting you guys go. Um, Nate Marquardt goes back goes gets back inside the octagon at UFC 188. He will take on Kelvin Gastelum, who is making his return up to middleweight, 185 pounds, which is where Gastelum was at when he won the Ultimate Fighter. He'll take on Nate Marquardt, the veteran, um, at UFC 188. That's a that's a fun matchup. Uh, veteran versus up-and-comer, and, and uh, if Gastelum gets the victory here, I mean, he's got to be knocking very closely to uh, top-five status. I mean, he, he's still undefeated. He's It's it's crazy. This guy is, is a knockout artist. He's He is the next big thing, and, and I mean, yes, he'll win this fight in the 185-pound division. Well, maybe. Nate Marquardt is a beast. But uh, if he drops down back down to 70, that's that's quite the winning streak. So good on him. Hopefully he heads in there and, and does his thing. Uh, we're not supposed to pick sides. I'm not picking sides because I think Marquardt could get this done as well. He's got the hands that, that show that, and his wrestling is seriously on point as well. I didn't say it off the hop, but UFC 186 is starting to take slowly dwindling down and taking a dive off the deep end diving board with very shallow water. Um, UFC 186 main event fight was TJ Dillashaw versus Henan Barrow, and Dillashaw pulled out with an injury, which sucks. So uh, replacing that is Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson versus Kyoji Horiguchi, which is a fight that, you know, not a lot of people thought Horiguchi deserved this to begin with. Himself, he didn't want to step up and fight for the title yet. He thought he needed at least two more fights to to get up to the to the stepping point where he should be taking on Demetrius Johnson. I think personally what they should have done is move Demetrius back up to 35 and had a super fight against Hennem Burrell because that would have interested the fans. That would have sort of piqued the Canadians fan interest because that is where this card is going to be. So, uh, yeah, losing one again. Sucks for the Canucks. <laughs> Canada always gets the short end of the stick. Uh, so moving up into the co-main event slot is Quinton Rampage Jackson versus Fabio Maldonado. And John McDessie versus Abel Trujillo has hit the main card because they need another fight. That's about it. I spoke about DraftKings. I spoke about Juliana Pena's shop. Uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook, I mean. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, both those are at MMA Sucka. It's very easy to find. Follow myself on Twitter, at JeremyBrand604. Um, check out the website this week. Ian Bain put out a new piece. Uh, first piece for MMASucka.com. I'm pretty stoked about that because Ian's a good buddy of mine, and now he's on board with Sucka, so happy to have him on board. 
So check out the site, check us out. Make sure you head on back over to MMASucker.com and check out Sucker Radio next week. Thank you for riding me with me this week. With that, I'm out. Sometimes the antagonist building up the hype before a fight this ain't by accident. In the world of mixed martial arts, I'm the evangelist spreading the news of MMA, the number one candidate. Calibrate levels of greatness, that's when we collaborate. Mikey Rock and Jeremy Brandis, we reactivate. Brand creates the show for the fans and it's magnanimous. Jury's out decision and yes, it's unanimous. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. Out.